you've got your Bibles with you, um, turn to John chapter 5. I'm going to look at much of this chapter. Uh, I'm just going to begin in verses 1 through 9 of John chapter 5 today. John says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool, and in Aramaic it's called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades, and in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years, and when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir... I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. This story has always puzzled me for a number of reasons. It puzzles a lot of people. Some of your Bibles included a couple other verses there. Some translations include it. Some of them don't. Uh, there's a, a section there where the, the story was that every now and then an angel would come down from heaven and would stir up the water. The angel would trouble the waters. And the first person in the water, after the angel troubled the waters, that person would be healed. So that's puzzling in itself. But what I've always wondered about is, is there in verse in verse 3 it says there were multitudes of invalids blind lame and paralyzed and out of all of these multitudes that gathered there jesus picks one man and heals just one and on top of that if that's not puzzling enough he asks the guy do you want to be healed do you want to be healed? It's a strange question. Of course I want to be healed. I'm here, right? Of course I want to be healed. I'm here. But hear Jesus carefully. If, if He healed this man, if he, if he were to heal him after 38 years of being paralyzed, His life would change. He would no longer be able to just be a beggar. He would no longer be able to just lay there on His bed, on His little mat every day, and His little cup out and have people throw coins at him. He would no longer be able to do that. He would no longer be able to rely on other people to take care of him, to feed him, to clean him. He would be able to go to the temple. For the first time in 38 years, he would be able to go to the temple and worship. Would he really want to? I mean, what if it was a really nice day? Would I really want to go? Was he really up for it? After 38 years as a slave to his broken body, would he really want to change? Now, I found, I think I've got the perfect solution to the whole issue there. I think I, I, think I would have done it a little differently, and I, I think I've got it all figured out here. What Jesus could have done, I mean, the guy was paralyzed, right? He couldn't move at all. He couldn't move at all. All he had was his mat. What if Jesus had said, Here's a crutch. This will get you by. You know, I'm, I'm not going to heal you completely. I'm not going to take away all of your problems. Never mind that one. I'm not going to heal you completely. But here's a crutch. And you can get by on this crutch 
for as, as long as you need to. This is pretty good. I mean, this is nice, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of like a healing. I mean, at least he could walk if he had a crutch. He could get by a little bit, you know, and, and things would be all right for a while. It's better than just laying there all day. Take up your crutch and limp, Jesus could have said, right? I know it's not perfect, but it's good enough for who it's for. You think Jesus could have done that? I actually don't think Jesus could have done that. I don't think Jesus ever did anything halfway. You see, Jesus' solution to our problem is not a crutch. Jesus' solution to our problem is a cross. When Jesus saved you, He didn't give you just enough grace to get by, and you're still limping along on His grace. The Bible says He lavished His grace upon us. That He completely covered us. Those are going to fall down again if I do that. That He completely covered us in in His grace. We don't have just enough grace to, to keep us limping by. Well, I've been a Christian for 38 years, and this crutch has done pretty well for me so far. He heals us. He tells us, pick up your bed, pick up your mat, and walk. Jesus promised that an hour is coming. And He says, the hour is coming and the hour is here because He was here. An hour of glory. An hour that would change everything. And that hour came in His suffering on the cross. But too many of us live like it was just a crutch. Just something to get us by. Well, I know I'm a Christian now. Praise God. I'll stay on this crutch until I die. I'll just kind of limp along. And, and when I get to heaven, when I get to heaven, maybe I'll get golden crutches. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? And when I get to heaven, maybe then I can finally walk. Maybe then I can run. Maybe then I can continue on. But until then, this is, this is good enough. And so we just limp on never really realizing what that hour did for us, never realizing how God glorifies Himself through us. We never really realize what Jesus did. He didn't give us a crutch. He gave us a cross. He didn't give us something that would just patch us up and get us by. He gave us something that fixed our sin problem. We never really realize that Jesus settled your judgment on the cross. You know that Jesus, he, he was always getting himself in trouble, right? You've read about this guy? Always getting himself in trouble, always stirring up stuff, always getting people mad at him. And he does that here. To you and me, we read this story and we think, this is great. Jesus healed a paralyzed man. He healed this guy. And we think it's just absolutely wonderful. We would be amazed if we had been there. But to the Jewish officials, they were not happy. They were not happy because he healed this man on the Sabbath. He healed this man on a day when you were to do no work at all. That seems minor to us. We wouldn't mind a day off every now and then. But to them, it wasn't just a day off. It was the essence. It was the very hallmark of your devotion to God. And so the question comes up, if Jesus can heal this man on the Sabbath, then where does he get that authority? If he has authority over the Sabbath, he has authority over God's law. And if he can heal on the Sabbath, what else can he do? And who else does he have authority over? 
If he has authority over the Sabbath, that means he has authority over me and you. And so the whole second half of chapter 5, Jesus is on trial. He's asked, being asked where he got this authority. If he has authority to work on the Sabbath, then he is above God's law. God's law says sin must be punished. God's law says you have to suffer for the wrong that you did. But Jesus promises an hour is coming when everything will change. And if you look on down in verse 22, he says the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears My Word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. This is why Jesus couldn't have just given the man crutches. This is why Jesus couldn't have just left him with a limp. That's not how it works. That's not how Jesus works. This man's suffering. This man's paralysis for 38 years. His paralysis was viewed as a judgment for his sin. He had sinned, according to the Jewish officials. He had sinned, and it was obvious because he was suffering. If you suffer, it's because you have sinned. He did something, and God was punishing him now. In fact, they believed that all sickness, all suffering was a result of sin. Are you blind? Boom, you sinned. Or maybe your parents sinned. Somebody sinned, and you're paying for it. Are you deaf? It's because somebody sinned. Are you lame? It's because somebody sinned. Are you sick? If you got leprosy, you sinned. If you got cancer, it's because you sinned. That's the way they viewed suffering. Jesus says the Father judges no one. Father judges no one, and that the Father has given all judgment to the Son. You like that? Are you happy with that? That part of you isn't. It's a troubling question for us. It's a troubling issue, and it's a question we still puzzle over because whenever something happens, the first thing we will do is we will say, Why? Why me? What did I do wrong that I have to suffer with this? What did I do wrong? And you know, Jesus, Jesus even addresses that question. Look back at verse 14. Because Jesus goes and He finds the man after He's been healed, after He's picked up His bed and He's walked. Where does the guy go? He does go to the temple. He goes to worship. He goes to present Himself and make the offering that's required for His healing. It's a wonderful thing. Jesus finds him in the temple, and in verse 14, he says, says afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. So is Jesus saying that this man's condition was a result of his sin? He might be. He might be saying that his condition was a result of of his sin. But the problem is the difference between suffering as punishment for sin and suffering as a consequence for sin. Do you understand the difference between punishment and consequences? The other day, I was in my office, I was working on this sermon. I got a new office chair a few months ago, and my other one was falling apart. Some of you guys remember that. 
So I got this new office chair, and I reached under my office chair, and I felt something sticky under the chair. And I reached, I thought, what is that? And so I reached under, and I pulled it off, and it was, it was this tag. And the tag says, warning, do not remove this tag. <laughs> Whoops, <laughs> I already did that. And then I read the line underneath it. You see what it says underneath it? Do not stand on this chair. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to admit to you that I'm only human. You know what I did? I stood on the chair. (laughs) And I took a picture of me standing on the chair. You know why? Because I'm a rebel. That's the way I roll. I'm a rebel. I'm not going to let some tag tell me what I can't do. I'm an American. Now, let's just suppose that something had happened while I'm standing there on this office chair that has rollers on the bottom of it and tilts. And let's just, just what, hap- what would have happened if I had fallen off of that office chair and I had banged my head and I had messed myself up and I ended up paralyzed? Is that punishment for my sin or is that a consequence for me being stupid it's a consequence it's not punishment it's not God saying you're getting what you deserve it is a consequence and we we understand that but what I don't understand is There is some part of us that really wants punishment. There is some part of us that thinks that we need punishment, that we deserve punishment. And so many people walk around like at any minute, God is going to let them have it. God's just going to change his mind and say, nope, that's one too many, you're done. And he's going to punish them. Something happens. Something bad happens to us. We get a bad diagnosis. We have a bad day. We get in an accident. Semi hits us or something. And what do we think? I must have done something to deserve that. And we do the other thing, too. When something good happens, we think, I did something good. You know, I must have done something good, and God noticed it. But something bad happens, and we'll ask the question, what did I do to deserve that? And, you know, it's bad enough that we do that for ourselves. We do it for other people, too. Well, she'll get hers. God didn't miss that. He, He saw what she did. God saw what that guy did, and he's going to get his. God will get even with him sometime. You know, you know this is good news, right? <laughs> Never mind the apple sticker. You know this is good news, right? This is good news. Does God's going to get him? Does that sound like good news? Does, does God's going to get even with you if you screw up? God's going to punish you? Does that sound like good news? <sighs> you know, the, really, the, at the heart of it is, what do we believe about Jesus? What do we believe that Jesus did for us? What did Jesus do for you? One of our favorite scriptures, we love Isaiah 53, right? Everybody loves Isaiah 53. I remember the first time I read it, I was just, oh my goodness, look at this. This is incredible. Written about 600 years before the birth of Christ. Isaiah 63 is, or 53, excuse me, is one of the most obvious prophecies about the coming of of Jesus. It's one of the most very clear prophecies about what Jesus will do. Do we believe Isaiah 53? Absolutely we believe it. Do you remember what it says? Isaiah 53, 
verses 4 through 6. Surely He, that is Jesus, surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon Him was the chastisement, that is the punishment, that brought us peace. You just read that, right? Did Jesus take on your punishment? Did Jesus take on your punishment? All of it? All of it? You don't think you're still a little bit? What if I screw up tomorrow? Did He take on the the things I screwed up for tomorrow? Okay. All of it? He took on all of your punishment? He either did or He didn't. And the book says He did. John chapter 5, verse 24. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears My Word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So is your sickness, is your suffering a judgment from God? Is it God's judgment on you? Of course not. He didn't give you a crutch. He didn't give you something to just get you by for now. He gave you a cross. Jesus says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me does not come into judgment. And that means that because Jesus took on your judgment, he also began your new life on the cross. Look at verse 25 here in John chapter 5. Jesus says, truly, truly, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Paul wrote something very similar in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Listen to what Paul wrote. Listen to what, you know, what Jesus just said. Listen to what Paul wrote. And you were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, children who deserve punishment like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our, in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. You get that? By nature we were children of wrath. By nature we were doomed to judgment. But God, who is rich in mercy, took your dead body and He gave you life. He gave you grace. That life does not start the day you breathe your last breath here. It doesn't start the day Jesus comes back and we're caught up to meet Him in the air. It started already, it started the day you gave yourself to Him. You saw that, right? Look again, verse, verse 24. Truly, truly, this is true. I say to you, whoever hears My Word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal 
life. Eternal life becomes the possession of the believer the moment they put their faith in Christ. Next month, just a few more weeks, we're going to celebrate Easter. Celebrate Resurrection Sunday. The day when we remember what happened on the cross. The day when we remember the tomb was empty. The day that we get to rejoice and we get to sing all of those songs. And we're going to sing them loud. And we're going to love everything that we do that day as we sing those songs. You know, what we see in John's Gospel is over and over again, Jesus said, an hour is coming. What did, what did that hour do for Jesus? <laughs> did he get a pair of crutches? You know? We're talking about this in my Sunday school class today. We're talking about what does a resurrected body look like. And, you know, did Jesus still, says, you know, he still had the, the scars. But when Jesus was resurrected, after being beaten, after being nailed to the cross, after being killed, after being stabbed, did he come out of the cross going, oh, it's a long weekend. Oh, I can't believe it. Did he have crutches? No. He came out whole. He came out healed. He came out perfect. Jesus keeps saying all the way through John, an hour is coming, an hour is coming, an hour is coming. When we get to chapter 17, he's praying in the garden, he's sweating drops of blood, and he says, the hour has come. And that hour takes him to the cross. What does he say on the cross? What's his very last words? Not an hour is coming. His very last words are, it is finished. Not, someday you'll get better. Someday everything will be fine. Here's a crutch until then. He says, it is finished. The penalty for your sin has been paid. Your judgment has been taken upon Himself. He poured out His blood so that you might have eternal life now. And one day you will stand before God and you will confirm he will confirm for you what has already taken place. Verse 26, he says, For the, as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and will come out. And those who have done good to resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So I have to ask, why are you still walking around like you got a crutch? Why are you still limping and just getting by? Why are there so many Christians today who, who live like they're still being punished for their sins? Why do so many people live in fear? If I step out of line, if I screw up one more time, God is going to let me have it. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. You have been healed. There's something else that Jesus says here, and I don't know that we've ever really seen it. Earlier, when, when Jesus' authority is being questioned, when the officials are basically saying, who are you to break the Sabbath? Who are you to heal on the Sabbath? Look at how Jesus responds in verse 19. It says, and so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son 
and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. I read that passage for years. And I always thought it was about physical healing. I always thought it was about miracles. But you know, if it was about miracles, if it was just about physical healing, why didn't the apostles after the resurrection, after Pentecost, why didn't they go down to Bethesda and clean that place out? If that was the greater works that he would do, why didn't the apostles just go clean out Bethesda and clean out all of those, take care of all of those invalids? Why are there still sick people today? Why are there still paralyzed people to this day? Let me tell you what the greater works are. The greater works are you and me. The greater works are people who put their faith in Jesus. People who are set free from judgment and people who are living eternal lives right here and right now. And what I love about what Jesus says here, if you notice, He says these greater works will cause people to marvel. (laughs) Have you ever stopped to think about that? Not only are you a recipient of God's amazing grace, but you are a reason that some people marvel. Some people look at you and they wonder. They they really do. (laughs) They wonder how how God could save someone like you. They wonder how God could do what He's done in your life. And and they marvel at it. If God can give someone who's been through the things that you've been through that kind of joy, if He can give you that kind of peace, if He can give you that kind of healing, what could He do for me? Greater works will they do. And people will marvel. We need to live our lives with the kind of transparency, the kind of openness, where people don't see someone who's got it all together. But they also don't see someone who's just limping and making it by. They see someone who has been hurt, who has been beaten, and yet that punishment is gone. And they're living in peace. They're living that eternal life right here and right now. That's what makes grace amazing. That's what makes what we do here and who we are amazing. And I want people not only to to see that in the Word, but they have to see it in our lives. They have to see it in the way that we live. They don't marvel at you because you got a crutch. <laughs> they don't marvel at you because you're barely getting by. They marvel because you stand before a holy God, clean, forgiven, and whole. That is amazing grace. Maybe, maybe you've never taken that. Maybe you've never gotten that. Maybe at some point you're, you've, you've always thought you've still got it coming to you. You know, that's, You thought, I, I've done something wrong, and that's why these things happen. That's not the cross. That's not what the cross was for. Maybe today you need to embrace that amazing grace. And if you do, we want to pray with you. We want to love you through that. We want to help you see just what Christ has done for you.